welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. The Word of God this morning is a special text in light of the fact that it is a Communion Sunday, and I often do this, uh, dedicating a, a message to the dimension of Communion to bring its richness more deeply into our hearts in these times. And the text that I'll be uh, working in today, but uh, many others as well, is Isaiah 53. And I read in your hearing Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 5. Let us hear the majestic word of God together. Speaking of Jesus, the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. This is the majestic word of God about the great cross of Christ. May its great mercy be tasted by us in a richer way today. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, you can, you can be seated. Thank you so much. Well, as we begin, I, I want to remind you of something I've told you in the past, that uh, one of the biggest misconceptions about Jesus in our modern culture, in fact, historically, but much more so today in the West at any rate, one of the biggest misconceptions about Jesus is that the life that he lived was more important than the death that he died. Think about it. So many people today... Uh, are very willing to talk about his example. He was a great moral example, a, a human example. Or a lot of others are willing to toy with his teachings and pick and choose points of inspiration from some of the teaching that Jesus gave. A lot of people are willing to take Jesus on their basis and on that basis, intrigued with his life. Even some Confessing Christians, they, uh, they look at the cross of Christ and the cross work of Christ and their decision about the gospel and the greatness of the gospel itself, and they look at it as something you embrace in a moment of time, <clears throat> and then they move on to other things that in their minds are more practical or more relevant or more emotion-stirring or whatever, and they encounter the cross of Christ at the beginning of their walk, and they make a decision about the gospel at the beginning of their walk, and yet the greatness of those things really doesn't have a centrality in their lives. A lot of Christians want to get 
get through the depth of the gospel so that they can get on with how the teaching of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, the principles of Jesus can enhance their lives now. That's a fallacy. The greatness of Christ is not captured in the life that he lived, although it was a perfect life. No, the life that he lived was not more important than the death that he died. The death that he died wrapped everything in who he was and what he came to do. Jesus did not come to be an inspiring example. He did not live and die simply to be a stirring teacher whom you can pick through with all the other inspirational sources in your life. No, Jesus Christ came first and foremost as a dying sacrifice. You must never forget that. I've said many times that I pray that my preaching will always be cruciform. That means that the cross will always be present and the heart of the gospel will always be seen. That's why I read the scripture with an eye toward the pathway to the cross that it seems to always take. You know, Jesus Christ differs from all other religious leaders in how he was introduced. Jesus Christ, as far as I know, is the only leader of any religion who was ever introduced to the world and then explained to his followers as a dying sacrifice. He was introduced as one who was born to die. John the Baptist introduced him to the world on the the, the shore of the Jordan River, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. So this is our Christ. And the cross was really the greatest achievement in universal history. You think about that. Many people think, well, how does it, how does it compare to the indescribable miracle of God creating the world out of nothing? Well, Thomas Watson, the Puritan theologian of many centuries ago now, wrote this, Great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than to make us. Think about that. Creation simply involved the speaking of a word from God. Redemption required the shedding of blood by God. That's the essence of it. And it's good news. Amen. It is good news because it means that you don't, you don't have to face dying and suffering eternally for your sin. Jesus Christ atoned for your sin. But the text that I read to you as I opened also describes the fact that though it is joyful for us, it was a sorrowful experience for Jesus. In verse 3, the scripture says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The pathway of Christ all the way through the humiliation of his earthly life involved that, but it culminated in the hours on the cross, which are referred to in verse uh, 4 and 5. In a magnified sense, as the hours of the cross rolled, he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, even though we would have surrounded that same cross and esteemed him the one that was smitten by God. But there he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, all for our benefit. But make no mistake, look at the scripture. It says, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It was a sorrowful experience for him. 
And I want to speak today about the grief that he bore, but I want to focus on one particular dimension that I think is a forgotten dimension of the death of Christ. It's a little less obvious, but it is full of the meaning of the cross. So I want to talk about the three griefs that Jesus walked in. Why was he a man of sorrows? Why does verse 3 say he was deeply acquainted with grief? I want to go through that and explain, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the first two quickly because they're so familiar to us, and then I'm going to spend the majority of our time as we prepare our hearts for communion on the third. So first of all, it was a grief in the sense that he... He bore the sorrow and the grief of pain. So there, first of all, in the crosswork experience, and in Isaiah, is the description of the grief of the pain that he bore. We're most familiar with this. It's the most connective to us as human physical beings. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And in verse 5, it does say very, very clearly that he was wounded for our transgressions. Verse 5, another translation of that could, and very, very well stated could be, but he was pierced for our transgressions, referring to the very physical agony that he suffered from the nails to the, to the, to the, the thorns into his, into his scalp, to the, to the spear into his side, crushed under physical suffering, wilting under the cross and on, on the cross as his very physical being was driven to nothing and his heart burst. And he indeed suffered wounds. And so he, he went through physical suffering. He also shed blood because the nature of what he came to do was involved in being a sacrifice as the Lamb of God he shed blood in sacrifice. So we are familiar with that, and that is a tremendous thing to ponder. And it was, it was deeply painful and of grief to him. The creator of the world, the eternal God who came to take on humanity, going through the depth of that experience as a man, as a man. But things would get worse Secondly, we've always learned, and I've preached often from this pulpit, that there was the grief of the sin that he bore. Isaiah 53, 6 amplifies this. You can see it step its way up. We go from the physical affliction to the depth of our sacrifice and our suffering. In verse 5, excuse me, he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And then verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You can see the increasing intensity of what he bore. There was the grief of the pain that he bore physically and personally. But then there was even something worse. It was the grief of the sin that he bore. Because the scripture says here that God the Father laid on him, God the Son, the iniquity of us all. What does this mean? Captured for you in a sentence. Out of obedience to the Father and love for us, Jesus took on himself all of our sins. They were imputed to him. 
That's the theological term. Isaiah's was laid on him. He, he took them on. They actually, in the hours of the cross, in the eyes of the Father, belonged to Christ, including the guilt for them. This is a mystery we will never fully understand. In those hours, and because he took on an obedience to the Father and out of love for us, all of our sins, letting them be imputed to him so that they actually belong to Christ in the Father's eyes, including the guilt for them, then he had to experience the wrath that those sins deserve. The pouring out of the punishment of a holy God upon the sin of the people. Now we are familiar with this too. And that indeed was magnitudes worse than the simple physical suffering. So there was the grief of the pain that he bore and the grief of the sin that he bore. But in a certain dimension, in terms of the relationship between the father and the son, there was a dimension in which it worsened still. And that is what I believe is the forgotten dimension of the death of Jesus and it's the third and this is where the body of my message will be today to prepare for communion it won't be a long message but it will be a meditation on this great great issue you see there is thirdly the grief of the abandonment that he bore the abandonment that he bore carrying our sin in the eyes of a perfect father created an abandonment within the Trinity as Jesus Christ was taken into the wrath of God. Now this is a mystery. No human being can fully describe it. We will not even enter into the depths of it and over the rolling echoes and ages of eternity. I only explain it in my halting way as I see the Bible give us a description. But there was an abandonment that Jesus Christ experienced on the way to the cross, but primarily in the dark hours of the wrath. Now, there's two dimensions. First of all, we know that Jesus, his griefs didn't only begin on the cross and focus there. They culminated there. But Jesus, first of all, was humanly abandoned as he made his way to that cross work. Humanly abandoned. We know this because in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus Christ cries out under the abandonment that he was experiencing at the hands of his own disciples. In Mark chapter 14, we see the Garden of Gethsemane described. The Holy Spirit gives this inspired record into the hours that only Jesus fully went through. As Jesus went into the garden knowing his betrayal was at hand, knowing Judas had already gone to the Pharisees in a secret conference and had taken the blood money, knowing that all the, the machinations of, of the rulers and those that would come and capture him were rolling that night in Jerusalem. He knew it was only a matter of time until he'd be taken and tormented and crucified. He comes to the garden and he brings his closest disciples to within a stone's throw of where he was. He says to them in verse 34, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. 
remain here and watch. And so he looked into the eyes of Peter. And he said, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and pray for me. Watch meant to pray. And Jesus walked into this with the Father and the Spirit farther into the garden. But as a man, he wanted He wanted the human comfort of other men who were aware of the depth of his struggle and were simply praying for him, watching for him in prayer. And so going a little farther in the garden, he fell on the ground. Imagine the physical and human and soulish uh, pain he must have been where he could go no further. He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He's in deep, deep agony with the Father. And he said, Abba, the intimate word of a Hebrew child for his father. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. In the agonies of those hours, he battled alone. The soulish dimension of who he was as a man was in great distress. But we see here in verse 36 the triumph of the perfect man, the son of man, who though under every possible human emotional desire and physical revulsion at knowing in perfect detail also as God every moment that was coming, he won the great triumph of walking into it in perfect obedience and perfect love. But he made that victory and he walked through that hour alone because as you know the story and there's other gospel writers that tell us more they did not remain and watch for him and they did not pray for him and they did not share his agony Jesus came and found them what? sleeping and he said to Peter Simon are you asleep? can you imagine the grief and human disappointment of the son of God? Could you not watch one hour? It struck me that Jesus Christ was perfect man and perfect God. As perfect man, he was fully man. And my Bible tells me in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 that God the Father said of man, it is not good that the man should be alone. The composite makeup of a human being was built for relationship, for the presence of another, for the understanding and compassion of a friend. Man was not built to be alone, but the son of man that night was. And he took it on himself. I was struck by that. As man, Jesus was not built to suffer alone, but as the perfect man and as my Savior, he did. So he was humanly abandoned. The fullest dimension of his sacrifice were walked through by himself. And I, I just thought about the whole reality of our human experience. And 
I think more now than ever, a lot of us have experienced difficulty in isolation and and our human world is turning in such a way that dimensions of life are, are more isolated than ever and there are lonely paths that we walk. But you know, that's always been the case in human life. Have you ever faced a situation that only you will have to walk through because it's uniquely bound to you Others will not be able to understand it, or others will just not be able to walk through it with you. A situation in a job context where it's all on you, and you cannot open the depths of it to anyone else, and because of the ethics issues or whatever, you stand in it alone. A ministry context in the same manner in which you must walk through that alone and only the great shepherd can be the clearest and and deepest comfort to your heart. Maybe some deep personal battle that's yours alone. God's put you on a battlefield that you really can't share with others or that they would not understand or even come to you in. Maybe your battle right now is the isolation of physical illness. Or maybe you have a loved one that knows the Lord that's battling alone in a hospital room. Whenever you're placed on a path that only you have to walk through, remember, my dear friend, that he was there. As as the perfect man, but fully man, he understands what it's like to walk alone. I took comfort in that. But in the hours that drew closer to the cross, of course, we know that there was one place where he was fully alone, and that was upon the cross itself. And there the greatest level of abandonment occurred, He was not only humanly abandoned in the hours leading up to it. We know that the disciples, as the the Garden of Gethsemane scene came to a close, the scripture says in Matthew 26, 14, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, bringing the greatest human pain of all, which was betrayal. And with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And in verse 56 of Matthew 26, it says, But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the, of the prophets might be fulfilled, that all the disciples left him and fled. So the abandonment humanly escalated, and Jesus walked to the cross alone. And then he was, of course, on the cross And so it escalated from human abandonment to divine abandonment. He he was divinely abandoned. You may say those are strong words. And again, I'm a man reaching at the infinite here, but I'm describing it in the words that I think the text implies. He not only suffered the wrath from the Father, but there was a sense in which he suffered separation. That was, of course, far, far worse than the desertion of his closest friends. But the scripture tells us that it indeed occurred. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. This covers the length of the cross work. We know that there were several hours, but the last three hours of the cross's agony that led up to the final moment when Jesus gave up his spirit, they were unique. Verse 45 of Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, which was noon, There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Darkness came suddenly, supernaturally, 
unexplainably over that region, over all the land. And that darkness accompanied the time in which many Bible students believed that the wrath of God fell on the sun in all of its weight and horror. Darkness fit those hours. It was the darkness under which the wrath of God was poured out on the Son who had taken on my sin. But I believe it was also a dimension in which at the same time the wrath fell, the Father turned his face. Verse 45 describes the beginning of the darkness, the falling of the wrath, and the abandonment of the Father. Verse 46 leaps to the end of it. And about the ninth hour, three hours of unimaginable darkness and horror as God's wrath fell on the Son, he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? We know that the darkness covered not only the wrath that fell, but an abandonment of the Father toward the Son. It's interesting that this is the first time in the earthly ministry of Jesus in which he didn't call God Abba, in which he didn't call God Father. was the first time in which that word is not there. Instead, it's simply the word for God, God in all of his greatness. And yet there was an intimacy in some way in the Trinity that in those hours was his no longer. How do you explain this? We can't. But it seems that for the first time in forever, Jesus was alone in the depths of the reality of who he was. Alone and abandoned without the intimacy of the Trinity. As the wrath fell and my sin was placed on Christ, the Father gazed upon this great spectacle and he could do nothing but pour wrath upon Jesus in my place. The Father poured out his wrath and closed those eyes that had always been full of affection and attention upon the Son and turned his head away. Why, you say? Habakkuk the prophet told us. Habakkuk 1.13 You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. The holiness of the Father And the sin laid on the Son somehow involved this turning of the eyes of the Father away in those horrendous hours. We cannot understand it. We cannot even fully describe it accurately. But it it is the forgotten dimension of what he went through for me and for you. I've pondered it this week and it just has struck me in deeper ways than ever. 
In one sense, it helps me understand that even in that terrible hour of the Trinity, in that turning, even that God the Father used for good. Because Hebrews chapter 4 in the scriptures say that this wonderful Christ undergoing the wrath of God until he could cry out, it is finished, Under, undergoing this abandonment, this, the turning of the face of the Father until the wrath had been poured out and completed. It allowed him to fulfill in his ministry and to experience in his humanity the depths of personal abandonment. And the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, even that great disaster created a dimension in the human reality of Jesus Christ that gave him the ability to sympathize with every weakness I have. Hebrews 4, 15, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who has entered and passed through into the heavens. Verse 14, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Again, you may be walking through loneliness. You may have been abandoned in relationship. You may have been uh, deeply wounded through the actions of others that were no fault of your own, that have lost relationships or put you into the depths of human loneliness. You've been misunderstood and abandoned in the human course of things. Well, dear friend, because of the depths of what Jesus went to, you can go, went through, you can go to a high priest who is able to sympathize with every one of your weaknesses, including the weakness and the temptation of utter abandonment. He knows, and he stood through it all. Therefore, verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The confidence there is that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you now see your sin for what it is and see him as the Savior for who he is, you can always come no matter what your past or your need to him, and you'll find saving grace, and you'll find God's mercy because of that cross. But it also speaks to the follower of Christ in great battle and in great threat and in great loneliness, and you will always find someone who will never turn you away for battling with the human experience of loneliness or abandonment. Oh, you will always find at that throne of grace the, the compassion and the understanding of a high priest who sympathizes with you. And it all took place and came about because of the dark hours of wrath in which Jesus could not call him father in a sense. He simply used the title of holy and righteous God. But the wrath did lift. The abandonment did end. The darkness did depart. And Jesus was able to say, Father, into thy hand I commit my spirit. All for you, all for me.
So if hell is going to be both an unending experience of God's wrath and an eternal separation from his loving presence, then the death of Jesus involved all of that. He took it all when you and I justly should have taken it all forever. But as eternal God, compressed into three hours of human time, because he was eternal God, he could take on the depths of God's everlasting wrath that I deserved and the separation of the Father's loving presence that I should experience in hell forever. He took it on him in a human frame of time and he tasted the depths of it. How could that be possible? Again, the mystery abides. And out of the agonies of that darkness come good news. Because Jesus experienced these things so that we don't have to if we've turned from our sins and trusted our Savior. But this forgotten dimension, as I close and prepare to come into his presence at the supper, I want you never to forget that the pathway to this great news was very sorrowful for him. It was full of grief for him. The physical grief, the grief of tasting the wrath undeserved, and the grief of the separation of the the Father and the Spirit. For the first time in forever. That's past now. But communion, Jesus said, is something to be done in remembrance of him. And we, we remember the the clearer dimensions of it, perhaps I want you to consider this lesser known dimension of what he went through for you as communion comes to you today. It's curious, isn't it, that communion in its very title and in the very giving of it to us, it was given to us to experience with others. Isn't that true? But Jesus made it all possible alone. Ponder that as you prepare your heart for communion and thank him for that depth.